0: Hello, and welcome to the C21 Podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well, wherever you may be. Today, we hear from Rola Karam, Interim Chief Content Officer at Middle Eastern pay TV operator OSN, about the company's move into originals and its changing relationships with US studios. And Maria Feldman, co-creator of ISIS drama, No Man's Land, plus Christian Vesper, President of Global Drama at Fremantle, discuss the Hulu Arte co-production. Rola Karam is Interim Chief Content Officer of Pan-Arabic and MENA pay TV operator OSN, whose channels span 25 countries, featuring content from a broad array of international partners, including exclusive deals with HBO and Disney+. Plus. But the company is increasingly moving into original programming, adapted unscripted formats such as Come Dine With Me and pre-buying overseas dramas like Hulu Arte Co-Pro No Man's Land, which it then brands as its own. Karam spoke to Gunnar about this recent increase in homegrown shows and the focus of OSN's content strategy, how its long-standing relationships with the US studios are changing, and what's on the shopping list for the year ahead. My name is
1: Rula Karam. I've been with OSN for the past four years, I would say. I rejoined OSN back in uh, early 2017 as the VP of uh, Content Acquisition and Head of Arabic Channels. Currently, um, uh, since May, I've been uh, interming as the CCO until uh, our CEO finds uh, a, a candidate for this position. So uh, my main role in the company is uh, leading the commercial and the licensing of. Content at OSN for the whole uh, platform. So we do the acquisition for uh, the linear DTH, acquisition for uh, the OSN streaming and the on demand. So we take care of the uh, content acquisition. Um, My main focus uh, at OSN uh, is uh, around the studios, the Western studios. This is what that's my main focus. And I have my team who does um, Arabic as well, and uh, we do the co production and production. Production And we source content from all over the world for uh, the OSN branded channels and we have the affiliate channels as well. So I take care of both the OSN branded channels when it comes to uh, acquisition of content and the affiliate channels, they renegotiate or extend the channels that we have uh, on our platform. OSN, just to give you a brief, is a pay TV platform and an SVOD. And we have uh, the, as well the buy and keep. We have the AST. We have the TVOD, the transactional. So I would say, I would uh, for surely say that OSN is a premium uh, platform and it caters to everyone in the region. Our reach is around 25 territories from the Khalij area to Egypt, to North Africa, to the Levant. So we, co- we cover 25 territories. This is our footprint. Uh, our uh, core market is, of course, JCC, which is the Khalij area, which is the KSA, UAE, Oman, Bahrain, Qatar, uh, and uh, of Egypt is another big market for us. And uh, we have the Levant. So I divide, I divide my territory into five sectors, which is uh, JCC. I have Egypt by itself because it's a huge market. I have North Africa, Algeria, Morocco, Tunisia, and I have the Levant and Iran as well as a separate by itself because of the difference in languages. So this this is what I do in a nutshell. I acquire the content, I license content, and lately in 2020, we've started uh, venturing into the own productions, and as well, we source uh, script uh, writers, and uh, yeah, that's what we do in uh, in this department, actually.
2: So, what have been the main motivations for venturing into originals?
1: So, I'll tell you, we, we actually, we, we had back in the days, uh, we did produce back in the days, in 2010 to 2015, we did produce Few shows here and there. Uh, We did uh, uh, The Millionaire and uh, the latest one we did was we brought to the region SNL Arabia, which was a big success. We brought this back in 2016 until late 2017. So SNL Arabia uh, was the first one. Let's say we brought it to the region. It was our own production. So I would say it's not recent, the production, but again in 2020, after all the milestones that we've reached, as you know we are the home of HBO we have Disney we have MGM we have Paramount Viacom now we have all the major studios on board we have Universal and then in in March 2020 uh, we uh, did the deal with Disney Plus we brought them to the region so Disney Plus is only available on OSN platform a huge milestone to bring to the region so we have premium Western content and uh, we have premium Arabic content uh, acquired Arabic content. So we thought, okay, so we have both uh, spaces. We, we own the uh, Western, we own the Arabic uh, when it comes to first premium. Now we need to venture heavily into our own production so as, as we can cater to the whole mass, to our uh, subscribers and reach, have a bigger reach in the region. Mm-hmm. And that's why we decided it's now the time to uh, to go into original production. Right. And we, we did that with uh, the four pieces that I, I'll talk about uh, in a few minutes. And this is only a start.
2: Clearly you are going, moving into original productions in, in a significant way whereas before uh, you have done
1: few. I would say yes, know. yes, few yeah. shows. We did like a handful of shows but now we've uh, increased our Arabic budget, we've increased our investment in Arabic, we've doubled actually our uh, Arabic budget and hopefully we'll have 50% still. We can't survive just on uh, original production so we need to acquire content, finished content so hopefully we'll allocate 50% to original production and and, uh, 50% uh, of uh, to uh, Arabic acquisition.
2: So your entire production or, or your entire programming content budget has been doubled 50% for, Arabic, which, for, Arabic, for yes. Arabic content. Uh, for for Arabic, Arabic, yes, yes. yes. So what, what would be really interesting to understand when it comes to original productions I and mean, clearly there is the, a huge span of Western content that you have secured for OSN and remains presumably one of the drivers for yes. subscription But at the same time, what are you prioritizing within the originals space?
1: and why? Uh, Western content is by far is, is a main driver, especially when it comes with, with all the deals that we've done, when it comes to uh, the recency of the content, being exclusive. The only home uh, would be like, for, for instance, HBO is, OSN is the home for HBO content. So you can't see any HBO content but uh, on OSN. However, to evolve and to be more focused and to, uh, since we are Arabs, we are in the region, we cater to the region we need to speak and to adapt to the cultures of the region. That's why we thought original production is a big drive as the Western. We're not looking actually for a particular uh, format or particular piece of content when it comes to production. We're open to different different formats, short or long, scripted and unscripted. And uh, we'll see how it uh, how uh, this evolves. We don't want to just stick to a scripted drama like everyone else. I'm sure there's a huge appetite in this region for unscripted as well uh, we recently we locked uh, come dine with me in Arabic. Yalla, Natasha, and it's actually it's uh, it's a huge success. The production team. Uh, it's an ITV production. So they came to Dubai and they shot about 45 episodes here in Dubai, even though there was uh, lockdowns and Corona. So we, we did 45 episodes. The contestants were from, um, they're based in Dubai, but they're all from expats from uh, the Arab region. So we had Egyptians, we had uh, Lebanese, we had Jordanians, we had Syrians, we had North Africans, Saudis, we had locals as well from uh, Dubai. So the contestants are from the region and they each one brought their own different flavors and their own different traditions and that's why it made the show successful and with humor elements as well so so it proves that it doesn't have to be a scripted series it can be unscripted so this is uh, as an uh, as one example the other series uh, or the other entertainment talk show that we uh, did is uh, called Adetri Gala, which is uh, an Egyptian um, talk show where we have uh, three male uh, celebrities and again this is the third season so the first two seasons were very much Egyptian centric, but we decided this time around, again, as we look for diversity and we are catering to 25 countries, so why not bring the celebrities from the region to become more of a pan-Arab talk show instead of just a one country talk show. So we had celebrities from Syria, Lebanon, and Egypt, and the the talk show is is only six episodes. Hopefully we'll produce season two, but uh, we started with six episodes. And the celebrities, the female Female celebrities that we got on board are as well a mix of uh, the region, not just uh, concentrating on one uh, nationality. So again, I'm talking about diversity, and we are looking for diversity so as we can have the reach and we talk to the whole uh, 25 territories, not just one country. So
2: all these shows, that's to say, your talk show and Come Dine with Me, are they
1: are they being re So we're talking. This is talk in progress. I uh, we're hoping that we will do uh, Come Dine With Me or Yalla Natasha I call it uh, as a Ramadan uh, uh, event it would uh, bring a very nice uh, flavor to Ramadan because it's all about food so why not bring it and uh, make it as an event so yes we are uh, now in talks of continuing with uh, uh, the second season as well so mm-hmm. stay tuned on that there's lots of ideas around Yalla Natasha or Come Dine With Me but given the situation with the COVID yeah. uh, we're very much restricted or limited to Travel. So I have hopes we'll actually travel the region and have Yalla Natasha ju- not just in uh, UAE, but hopefully mm-hmm. one in Egypt, one in Saudi, one in Kuwait, one in Levant, one in North Africa. So there's so many ideas we can do, but because of the limitations, uh, we're now a little bit restricted. So you've got these
2: two, if you like, unscripted, unscripted correct. originals. Would you consider them programming pillars at this point in time? And how are you planning to expand your original slate?
1: So for this year, we actually have the two unscripted, which I uh, spoke mm-hmm. about. And then we actually brought uh, to the region another a scripted series. I'm sure you've heard about uh, No Man's Land. We got it from uh, Fremantle, no of Man. course, yeah. and uh, we claimed it as an OSN original for the Middle East only. Like Hulu, they, uh, it's their production for USA as well, uh, Arte for, uh, I guess, Europe. And for Mina, it's uh, OSN. So this is uh, the Western scripted series, the third one that we have, and we actually launched uh, last um, in October. No Man's Land, it's an eight-hour part uh, 8 hour series uh, about uh, the ISIS slash uh, the Yazidi women, which is this time around, uh, they're they taking the different angle, and it's all about uh, the women, these women, these tough women that they're fighting the ISIS. And it's a very nice, heavy, uh, tense series that I recommend uh, for you guys to watch it.
2: On No Man's Land, did you have any creative involvement, or is it more like a pre-buy
1: so let's say it's a pre-buy and it was an opportunity for, for us to explore that kind of uh, content mm. and the uh, genre. So it was an opportunity for us and to uh, lock it as an, as an original, yes. Something new we've never ventured in. I would say it's Western again. So it's different for the region to have a uh, Western series uh, as an as an original. The fourth one is uh, actually uh, is an Egyptian movie mm-hmm. called Curfew. It's with the, uh, the director's name is Amir Ramses and we have Egyptian... Uh, top celebrities, and we're very eager to uh, to have on our uh, screens. *Curfew* has been um, shortlisted for the Cairo Film Festival. Actually, it was uh, selected for the Cairo Film Festival.
2: And have you invested in this film uh, upfront? Uh,
1: again, this is uh, this was an opportunity for us, and but that's I can't say more. <laughs>
2: so it's it's a bit like a pre-buy.
1: Yes, I would say. Yes.
2: Yeah. I, okay, Rola, you also mentioned the role of co-productions. Are you you considering co-productions at this stage and if so are you pro- are you able to provide a few more details?
1: Okay so at this stage what we're looking for now we are um, for scripted and unscripted originals uh, what I would like to see is adaptation perhaps of uh, international formats that we can uh, remake in the, for the region I would like to receive pitches of available scripts that we can uh, review and uh, shortly if there's an interest perhaps um, some ideas new ideas that we can bring uh, to the region that haven't been uh, explored here when it comes to co-production yes again but it depends on the title and it depends on what's available out there so uh, we're open to whoever knocks our doors and pitches uh, us with ideas so it, we're not limiting ourselves okay. if anyone comes from asia has, has a good idea for us we are more than welcoming them to come on board. Anyone from Africa, anyone from uh, all over the world. So, as I said, we're looking for short, scripted and unscripted, family or even edgier content. So, I, I know there is no limitation. Even even if there is an opportunity for us to go into animation, I would do that. Family content, kids content is as well as big in this region as uh, adult content. Uh, so, uh, yes, everything. I would say all genres. We have to keep in mind that we have to uh, cater to the region, to the to the cultures, and adapt whatever. Yeah international to this region. So it can be successful.
2: What is the best way to pitch to OSN?
1: I would say they can reach out to me. Email is the easiest way. And then uh, I can uh, forward uh, their their content or their pitches to the bigger group. We are a committee of around 10 people that we review scripts and we review treatments and all these pitches. And accordingly, we shortlist and we go back with an interest or no interest.
2: And can I just ask you, what do you yes. see as the main opportunity? for OSN over the next year and what do you consider to be your biggest challenge over the next year?
1: Well, yes, uh, that's a good question. The challenges are, as we all know, being with the studios, providing less content when it comes to movies, but we are smart enough to have backup plans, especially for my channel. So we already have uh, backup plans in, in the pipeline. This is a huge challenge because the studios are, they have their own challenges as well. However, what helped us is the deal that we did with Disney+. Plus. This was an added value, a big added value, I would say, for us. And this will take us for, it will cover us for 2021 onwards. And not to forget, like with the acquisition, we we have a a beautiful slate uh, in Q1, Q2 of 2021 when it comes to series from uh, the studios and uh, Arabic as well. So uh, I'm happy to say there are challenges when it comes to theatrical releases, movies that uh, we've already worked on a backup plan. But when it comes to scripted series and uh, the other genres, we're covered and I'm not worried about that. And especially now, since we're venturing into the original production. So I'm hoping that every hopefully will introduce our audience and our subscribers every two months with a new piece of content. Aside from the beautiful slate that we have coming for 2021. because I I don't want to discuss Q3, Q4 because you never know what happens. And
2: to what extent are digital and linear services traveling hand in hand or are you seeing a significant shift?
1: Yes, the shift is, of course, happening even in this region, slower than the rest of the world, of course. Our uh, pay TV and free-to-air in this region is still huge. Uh, You know, we have, there's over 300 free-to-air channels, I guess, in in the region. So pay TV and uh, DTH is still big, but the shift is... Is happening with the penetration of uh, international and global SVOD players, uh, with local SVOD players, we can um, see that the shift is happening when the, sh- when the shift will completely happen, this will take time, I, I would say about a few years down the road I, I-, I still believe in family time I still believe in uh, being families gathered around the big screen and watching uh, content that is programmed and uh, curated for them, instead of just going, uh, watching their content uh, on their devices individually. Let's not forget that Ramadan is a huge uh, month for us. It's a huge event for this region. So the tradition is for families to come together and watch TV as a family in the living room and tune to their, your channel to watch your content. And I don't think this tradition will be diminished anytime soon. Our uh, ancestors had it and I think our future generations will have it. This is, uh, this is a huge uh, religious event. So the, their viewing habits, I don't think this will change in the next few
0: years, I don't think so. Rola Karam from OSN talking to Gunak As you heard there, No Man's Land is one of the series OSN has screened recently. Set in the ISIS and Kurdish camps of Syria in the chaotic aftermath of the Iraq War, Hulu and Arte's contemporary drama series focuses on one man's struggle to save his sister and the complex turmoil he finds himself engulfed in. Masha Productions' Maria Feldman, co-creator and executive producer of the show and Fremantle's president of global drama, Christian Vesper, spoke to Michael Picard about building this global co-production and the challenges of filming a series set in six countries.
3: So the story starts with Antoine, very typical young uh, Parisian man that one day sees a news report from Syria. It happens in 2014. The show happens then. So he sees a news report about female Kurdish fighters fighting ISIS in Syria. And one of the women, a very blurry image on the video, reminds him of his sister who died a few years ago in a terrorist attack in Cairo he knows it can not be her he knows she's dead but still he can't let go of this image and he starts investigating and very fast he finds himself in Syria looking for the woman from the video
4: I mean so there's there's a lot that goes on in the show isn't there so we've got like the mystery element we've got a family kind of saga I guess we have obviously the events that take place in in, in the Syrian war I mean so tell us a bit about the origins of the project and and what it was that you and your fellow co-creators wanted to, to to sort of focus on with the story?
3: It started with me wanting to tell a story about YPJ, the female force in uh, Syria, who played a very important role in defeating ISIS. And I came up with a story about a French man looking for his supposedly dead sister. And then my co-creator who started the project with me and the producer, Ethan Mansouri, brought the other side of it because we wanted ISIS to be another side of the story. So he brought the story of three friends, British friends, coming from London to Syria to join ISIS and because of uh, there is a lot of mystery so I don't want to reveal everything but there is also espionage involved and then Amit and Ron the writers and co-creators came on board and they brought their Middle Eastern you know espionage uh, experience and research and so it became a very multi-layered story that we all kind of you know work together.
4: And, and what was the approach to the story in terms of the balance between this man's search for his sister but also you know tackling ISIS and, and what's going on there because that's a, a series in itself isn't it and so how how did you want to balance those two storylines and what research then informed how you would progress with, with the development?
3: It was kind of naturally I don't I don't think we like, too much thought about okay, now we have too much of ISIS. And now it, it's two sides. They're eventually, they're fighting with each other. The main story is the Kurdish fighters and Antoine's search story that kind of combine. And then there is a three friend story, but they also meet. I don't want to give any his but they eventually meet. So I think it was kind of a natural way of storytelling because these plots combine.
4: And, and just tell us then a bit about the research that you had to do. I mean, I don't suppose many people will be aware of this. This female force that was operating against ISIS so I mean how how realistic is the show then and and how did you use the research in the story?
3: We tried it to be as realistic as possible and it was a lot of research was involved so at first we started with just reading and watching everything that was filmed in the region I was following uh, Kurdish fighters and also ISIS fighters on uh, social media and Twitter you know they have Twitter accounts and then we had more professional people um, Israeli war journalistic tie, Engele, helped us a lot. And um, we also had dialect coaches and culture consultants in pre-production and on set, both from the Kurdish side and also from Arabic side. A lot of translations and translators were involved. So just the card in the credits of all the translators and dialect coaches is like, you will see a lot of names there.
5: We also worry about what kind of lists Maria is now on, given all of her research and and Twitter follow.
4: Yeah, that would be a a real life documentary to uh, follow the series, maybe, you know, how you did it. I mean, Christian, um, then tell us a bit about Fremantle's involvement, because there are a lot of co-production partners. The the series has two initial broadcast partners with Hulu in the U.S. and Arte in France. Tell us a bit about the role that you had in in bringing the the pieces of the puzzle together.
5: Yeah, so I have a relationship with Core the uh, French producers, Uh, they introduced me to Maria and the project at Series Mania in when was it, Maria? 2016? 17. Yeah, 17, that winter. And you know, we as the distributor at the time, we were just starting to invest in development as well in in sort of a different way than a normal distributor. And they pitched me on this project, then they won the pitch at Series Mania, the pitch contest, and I wanted to, to make sure that Fremantle was involved. So we eventually ended up agreeing to finance the development along with OA Corps and and working with Maria and then they brought on the writers and then once the project got to a certain stage of development, we then, I went out with Maria and Caroline Benjo from OA Corps and we pitched it to um, US networks first. I mean, we the role that we wanted to play as Fremantle and that we did play was, you know supporting development and then helping set it up in a way that was most conducive to, you know, maintaining the project's independence and vision and point of view. Uh, We ended up bringing Hulu on board and then Arte at the same time, basically, which was exciting because I think, you know, it was a different kind of project for Hulu. They were really excited by the creative, by the writers, by the producers and also I think that both Hulu and Arte were really keen to work with each other. It hadn't been done much and it it ended up basically the way the project came together was a combination of uh, Hulu and Arte and then Fremantle. uh, In addition to having supported development, we stepped in as a co-financer as well and so, yeah, no, it was a a great experience
4: and Maria from I guess the creative aspect of that relationship then how did you have to feed into all these different partners who I guess are very invested in your initial pitch but then may have contrasting expectations of how the show might be filmed and and ultimately what they'll get to broadcast
3: I have to say that overall it was a great experience Uh, it it could sound scary with so many partners involved but also for example Christian he wanted to get involved in the the project even before we won at money, and I remember yeah. like because after we won like everybody kind of wanted to win but Christian was the one who met us before and he said I, I want to be involved and so for support from the beginning we felt like they really believe in our vision and what we want to say we got only very constructive notes also from Hulu and Arte it somehow worked very nicely together I, I don't know it's kind of a miracle but all the partners were like really on board with what we want to say and all the notes were great, and they were mostly creative. We didn't feel like we're being okay. This needs to be more American. Needs to be more French. No, we didn't feel this way at
5: all. And yeah, there was a real creative alignment around the creative team. I think you know that probably the most difficult part, as with any co-production, was just the the details. Of the financing, you know, because it is a very special project, but we got through that, you know, the, the business and legal teams got along very well at the same time. And I think what was impressive was both Hulu and Arte, they both need certain things for their markets, and yet they were both incredibly flexible about what the other needed.
4: Yeah, I, I guess if you if you go back to what, 2016, 2017, the COVID aside, you know, the business has changed a lot in just those three or four years, hasn't it? So I guess that this project has maybe co-production would be easier now, would they? Do you think that? back then or how, how has the process of a co-production changed during the course of making this show?
5: I mean, I think it's maybe in some ways more difficult, partly because the American industry continues to consolidate into these big vertical studios and broadcasters. So it's narrowed the opportunity. That said, I think at the same time, at least from our perspective at Fremantle, where we're, we are getting more involved in development and, and sort of becoming a combination studio distributor reader, we, we have more experience in doing this. I think certainly working with uh, Maria and OE Core, we hope to do it a lot again in the future because we've definitely figured out how to work together. And I, I hope our network partners agree, but I think that they would also, we would all work together again as
4: a group for sure. Absolutely. There's obviously a lot of interest in the project. What is it that you saw as a global partner that you felt would play to audiences around the world in, in the show? When I met
5: Maria in one of the first parts of the pitch at the time, and it, it, you know the show evolved a lot but was about the women fighters. And Maria showed a video of, they would um, ululate when they were, I think that's how you say it, ululate, or they would, you know, make a noise when they were shooting at the men in ISIS. And Maria pointed out that they made that noise because the men believed that if they were killed by a woman they wouldn't go to heaven. And I just thought that was kind of extraordinary. And, And just, A, I think it seemed everyone should be interested in that. Because it's both culturally really interesting, you know, in this patriarchal society that these Women were fighting, but also, you know, it's ironic, and and you just, of course, love the fact that it, these girls were gonna, you know, send these guys not to heaven, you know, and it just freaked yeah. these idiots out. So
4: and um, and we've obviously got Antoine and and these female fighters that we meet. And um, I mean, tell us, uh, Maria, just a bit about some of the other characters. James Purefoy, who who people know, plays a kind of a sinister, uh, you know, MI5, CIA kind of agent, doesn't he? Tell us a bit about what other strands there are to the drama and and how they evolve. So
3: Purifoy, he represents the West that is involved, the Western countries that gets involved in the war there. And uh, he's kind of a puppet master. You feel like people on the ground, they're fighting and then they are doing their thing. But then we kind of zoom out and see who controls or influences their movements, their decisions. And that's all I can say about Purifoy character (laughs) without, without giving any spoilers. There are a lot of small characters but important characters on the show so of course there is uh, Kurdish women we have an amazing Kurdish origin uh, actress Rhoda playing the commander and we have all the foreign volunteers probably people know that a lot of foreigners were coming to join on ISIS side the fight and they don't know that a lot of people from Europe and from the US were coming to join the Kurdish side so we have these small characters but that are very important in the show that are foreign volunteers on both sides you know while uh, we're thinking a bit about next seasons and what next and almost every character you can do in spin-off and tell their story and go with them so much very rich a lot of very rich characters
4: and just then just take us into uh, the filming of the show it strikes me it might be quite a challenging show to, to film location wise and represent a war on screen what were some of the challenges that you had and, and how did you go about filming the show? So first of
3: all, the story of the show spans over six countries and we shot all the European countries, mostly in Belgium and also in Paris. And then we shot in Morocco all Middle Eastern countries, which is mostly Syria, but also Iran, Egypt and Turkey. It was an amazing experience to film in Morocco. It was challenging, it was hot, it was a lot of things, but it was overall an amazing experience. One thing, for example, we realized that it's very hard to deal with with weapons in Morocco. They have very strict laws. You can bring weapons. You can rent weapons. And you need king's signature. Basically, on every weapon you bring to Morocco. So we brought a truck of weapons. And, you know, we are doing a war show. So we have a lot of explosives and weapons. And so we ended up bringing a truck, driving a truck from Belgium to Morocco with all the weapons. We had a Moroccan army truck with the soldiers, with us on set. Every day we had a functioning weapon on set, which was most of the days. And we had, they were. coming counting the shots and we you have to pick and bring them you have to collect all the shells in the end of the day and they count them and there are fines like if you don't collect all the shells there are different rules but different challenges in morocco like we wanted to film in one place but the closest place to sleep at a hotel is three hours drive so a lot of locations fail just because you can't really get there so it was very challenging but very exciting
4: and just i mean how do you hope viewers what kind of perspective do you hope viewers come away From the show, with is it is there one particular theme or something that you would like them to to focus on, or how should they um, you know watch as these events unfold? I
3: think my answer would have been different before COVID, and now I feel like we got so close in our own worlds that now I just want to remind the audience that there is a wider world, there are different countries, there are people who are suffering for other reasons than COVID, and there are still wars going on there are still refugees, people are still fighting for their basic freedom and people from different countries meet and fight together. So like this very global feeling we had during the production with crew and cast from more than 10 countries and nationalities working together, this is kind of what I audience to remind that there used to be this world and it's still there.
4: And, and how are you both just continuing with your work at the moment? How are you developing new shows and what are your concerns or what opportunities are there for you
5: I work with a lot of companies and I work with our own global drama slate of projects and with our global producers like Wildside and The Apartment and, you know, Fremantle, North America. And I think that it's been tough, but everyone is either in production or wrapped on productions. I think it's like 85 to 90% of everything we were working on got done almost on schedule. And we've actually started and finished shows during COVID. So I think I'm, I'm optimistic. I, I do think now, you know, we're, we, we, you know, there's this constant nagging about when do we pitch things? When can we really go into production? Are we going to be able to get the crews? But at the same time, things are moving along quite strongly. We have a lot of projects we want to do next. Hopefully one of them will be season two of No Man's Land and whatever else Maria wants to bring us. So I, I'm taking a sunny view. Graham. I'm
3: very lucky because we finished filming before COVID. We were during post-production uh, when all the lockdowns started, which even the co-production of this series was international. So it did affect us a bit, but but we still managed to finish it. Other projects were in the early stages of development, so I just had time to really develop them and think about them more. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can film again. In Morocco, they're filming. I just got news from our co-producer that they started filming. So we're good. We're
4: good to go.
0: (laughs) Maria Feldman and Christian Vesper, talking with Michael Picard. That's all for this episode. There'll be more from the podcast next week, but in the meantime, stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest international TV industry news by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening.